Hello everyone, welcome to the What Are We Doing Here podcast. Firstly, huge shout out to anybody who has watched or listened to the show so far. You guys are brilliant, thank you so much. Secondly, I actually have a website now. After, after weeks and weeks of thinking about it, I've decided to make it. Go check it out at wawdh.com.au. I'll be updating and upgrading the website as the show grows to bring you more stuff. But for now, it'll give you access to all things WAWDH. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Sign up to the mailing list. Send me a message. Do your thing, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Two, Larry, you're the hey. <laughs> you're the first guest outside of like just me talking to my mates that I've had on that I've had on twice. Well, good. It's uh, it's exciting. I I didn't think people would want to come back. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, no, you said you said some really nice things about me. I I can always come back for more compliments. Yeah, it doesn't hurt, right? It doesn't hurt. Uh, what have you been up to? You just said you're gonna you're gonna go get a haircut. Did they uh? Is that a yeah. recent thing that's just been back open, or is it? Uh, have yeah, you been able to get uh, quite a lot of things are back open, um, but not everything. So, um, so finally, we can get haircut. Actually, somebody comes to my house and cuts mine and my wife Sarah's hair. So that's really nice. That's fancy. And um, uh, so she'll be here later on. Um, yeah, I, the big thing for me is uh, resuming playing golf. That was you know, being possible for about three weeks now. And uh, then next month, um, middle of the month, um, places like pubs and restaurants will open up. So we can actually eat. At the moment, we can go and eat outside, you know, like a, or just have a have a beer or something um, outside, but not inside. But then we're in hoping to be able to go inside to places, which also means we can start, you know, thinking about, Maybe taking a weekend break or something like that. Yeah, nice. But it's uh, it's good that uh, things are starting to go back to normal. You know, we're starting to get a bit of bit of normality it back is, into yeah, our lives. Yeah, it is. Here, we're very mindful about places like India and and European countries where you know the vaccination rollouts aren't happening and the COVID rates are escalating. Mindful too of other issues that people have, like in Australia, you've had floods. Is that right? New South Wales? Yeah, if it's uh in Australia we kinda got like a weird balance between floods and fires. So uh yeah. the year before we had those those monstrous fires that took up Yeah. That burnt everything down really and uh and then this year we've been blessed with floods. So <laughs> uh, we uh we get a little bit of everything down here, a little bit uh we're we're lucky because we don't get tornadoes, but uh we we get everything else. We get the floods and the fires. So uh, I know that Fire is part of the natural history of Australia, the bush. You know, I know that there are trees there that uh, that the seeds of which, the seed pods of which require fire to open them up. 
So, yeah. you know, it's clearly part of the natural history of the country. Um, I was in Adelaide when they had the Ash Wednesday fires, oh, which yeah. uh, was back in whenever that was in the 1980 or 79, 80, 81. I can't remember which year. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it, it's astonishing that people will build housing where there, you know, is a such a strong possibility of... Uh, of, of fires happening it's same in california but i guess that things are worse these days with climate change and uh, more and and bigger fires are happening so um it's it's tragic it's tra great tragedy uh yeah like you're saying um i just got a message through many of the species in blue mountains need fire to reproduce properly i, I think australia's a, a lot like that where we need the fire i think the problem was was uh they mishandled it, I think, apparently. So uh, it spread a lot further and a lot faster than anybody anticipated. Um, uh, once again, it is a part of like Australia's sort of like history and, and, and it's it's really, really well engrossed in, in, in what Australia is about. But uh, we are, I think there was a, a part there where they wanted to bring the Indigenous people in to help and I think the government said no. Um where really? they've been, yeah, they've been doing oh, it for for so long, and uh, they didn't take the advice of of the indigenous people. Oh, that's a shame. I've read that. I've read that that's happening. Um, I, I subscribe to something called Positive News. Yeah. So you get a bulletin every week about the what's good going on. You know, good things that are happening. And one of them was uh, one of the items uh, just within the last few weeks was about uh, the native uh, Aboriginal people. Uh, managing fires in a different way, uh, forget the details, but they manage it in a, in a sustainable way, um, not just burning off, uh, you know, f making fire breaks by just burning off stuff, but they actually do it in a way that is uh, healthy for the, for the, both the plant life trees and, and the animals life uh, of the so anyway, I think there are things. To be, I think there's enormous amounts to be learned from um, First Nation peoples of all countries. Yeah, uh, wisdom, great wisdom. They, they, um, uh, hopefully, will be able to maintain and pass on uh, at least within their own cultures, and perhaps also to uh, those of us from other cultures who are interested. Um, because, you know, I mean, I can imagine, I can just imagine a planet in which the only real survivors are the uh, native people. That's, you know, uh, the, 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 that's where we, we're headed, we, right? Uh, we sort of third world, pe third world people will um, don't have the skills. Yeah, that's, know, uh, that's right. Uh, it's, uh, it's a weird thing that you wouldn't, you wouldn't at least want to learn from them. I think it's like, if you're, I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but I think here there's a, a certain sense of like uh, we don't want to deal with it. Like obviously the the genocide didn't help, and then the continuation of that. So it's uh, you know if we don't deal with uh, it at all, then we don't need to approach anything. We don't need to learn anything. We can just sort of try and like repair it by doing silly little things that don't mean a lot to the indigenous people. Uh, mm. We got a little backwards here with that. But uh, hopefully it's getting a little better. Hopefully uh, our politicians are listening a little better. But you know what people mm. are like. People are 
if it, if we don't know and we don't understand it, then it's bad. You know, it's immediately demonized. Well, and yes, and scary. and also as a result of the way uh, the the Aboriginal people were, were treated, uh, taken away from the land, deprived of their sense of responsibility, in fact, their sense of meaning and purpose, and therefore, in their spiritual life being uh, badly impaired. Um, many of them resorted to alcohol, gambling, and other issues that then left them at the mercy of the critics who would say, yeah. well, you know, you, they're, they're terrible pe- they're bad people. But they're like anybody who, if you take away their, the, their soul, their heart, and meaning of their lives, uh, then that's what, what happens. You know, yeah. That's uh, but that's exactly right, isn't it? But uh, once again, it's it's not happening to the uh, to us, so then we don't want to deal with it. It's uh, it's a really bizarre, and I guess at our level, it's very, it's sort of mind-boggling that it just there's not just an immediate change. Um, you know, something that they can just like have a chat to them about and go, all right, we're going to start implementing these things. I still find it very bizarre. Like even here in Canberra, we have the uh the tent embassy, which is the Aboriginal embassy uh, in Australia. And it's parked yeah. right at the front of, I think the old parliament house, which is, it's, right. it's, it's, but it's, it's so crazy that it exists in a sense that they haven't, they've given them tents on the grass to, to have an embassy at. And now it's just become sort of like a, uh, uh, it's like this meaningful structure to them now, but, it just doesn't even compare to giving them an actual property and an actual residence to, to go to. So it's uh it's a little insane that it's, it's come down to them just having tents. And I, I think it just, that really sort of demonstrates uh, the, the lack of communication between the two parties. Uh, well, it's a one-sided lack of communication rather than the, rather than the, the, the indigenous people not wanting to talk. They just got nobody to talk to. Um, mm. But it's, it's, I guess it's like uh, like it's 2021, and and these like these little things still exist that just don't make sense to most people. Where it's like it's it's kind of crazy that you know Aboriginal people have a tent embassy out the front of like a like a like a white person's giant home, essentially. You know where all the white politicians go to yeah argue about things it it is an anomaly it is yeah you're right i i i'm interested that you kind of i mean you there's probably no way of having this conversation without doing this but you talk about them so there's them and us us yeah it's it's actually actually we're all us or we're all them you know what i mean I, I think that's such a bad thing that we get in our head. And I think, yeah, like you, you were exactly right. There, there should never, ever be a them and us. And I, I, I fell into it just then. Um, I think it's just such a weird thing that's been like, whether, whether you stand for it or not, it's like it's there and it, there's always a them and us. And, it, and it's a very yeah, hard thing to, to not say and not, not word, even though you don't mean it like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I think you... Uh, from my uh, experience, one has to train oneself not to think in them and us all the time. And, mm. and it helps to, to just remember, just remind oneself from time to time that, you know, we are all kin. We are all of one kind uh, genetically and in all sorts of others. And spiritually, we are 
uh, seamlessly bonded to our brothers and sisters who look different uh, or who have different religions, cultures, uh, belief systems, uh, diets, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, everything that's di- different uh, underneath it, there's the same, there's a, there's a, there's something that's more profound that is, that is, uh, part of a greater unity. Anyway, that's, you know, that's, uh, uh, the kind of spiritual worldview that I have come to espouse these days. Yeah. Uh, so that, and I, I have, I have very limited encounters with Aboriginal people, um, in when I was in Australia, but I, I did have one or two. Um, I, I went to um, Uluru. Yeah, nice. Uh, I walked around the base of it. I did not climb it. Um, and when I was in uh, that area, I encountered uh, a man who was an Aboriginal man, and we didn't have a conversation. We just stood and, and looked at each other and smiled and looked into each other's eyes. And I just felt uh, a great brotherly feeling, you know, towards that fellow. And he, I assume, must have felt warmly towards me. And it was a very brief encounter, but it, it was very powerful and meaningful. There was another thing that happened to me, which is connected with Australian Aboriginal people. Um, when I lived in Adelaide, I was introduced to a woman who had who was the widow of, she was English, and her husband was an, a professor of anthropology, and he had gone to Australia to study the native people and spent a lot of time with the Aboriginal tribes. Uh, I don't know whether one particular tribe or another, but, uh, and he was studying their initiation rites and ceremonies and so on. And uh, he... Um, he um, enlisted his wife's help in his studies to um, to, to investigate the the initiation rites of of the women. So she went through some initiation ceremonies with with the women, and she told me I was just meeting her on a sort of one to one at her house. The only time I met her, she was quite elderly. Uh, she told me, uh, she said, I never tell people this, but I've got to, I've got a reason for telling you, uh, which I will in a minute. She said, after the I went through the initiations, I developed some special powers, like clairvoyance. Um, and she said, I'm telling you because I've got an image of you, Larry, as a baby, as an infant, sitting on the knee of a man, and together you are playing with a gold watch chain. I can't see a watch, but that's what I can see. And I wondered if you know who that man is and who you were, whose knee you were sitting on, because clearly he's really important to you. So I didn't really immediately think who it could be, because the only person I'd ever seen in a picture of a family member with a gold chain was my father's father, but he had died long before I was born. He died in 1936, and I was born in 1950, so uh, obviously I could never sat on his knee. 
anyway, it happened that a few weeks later, I was back on a holiday back in the UK and I visited with my mother and grandmother. And I mentioned this and my grandmother immediately said, that was your grandfather. That's, I say, my mother's father. She said, he never did get a watch to put on that chain. So how did this Australian Aboriginal woman, uh, no, this English woman who had gone and spent time with Australian Aboriginal, develop these powers, get this image of me as an infant with my grandfather that I didn't even have a memory of. That's, uh... But that isn't, that, that isn't even the end of the story. Oh, wow. Um, I don't, I don't know if I met last time that we spoke, but my grandfather had by this died and his last words to me were, see you in four years. Now I said, no, I'm coming to see you again tomorrow. Granddad, he was in the hospital. Yeah. He had lung cancer. Uh, and no, he just held up his hand like this and a huge smile, four fingers and a huge smile. And I said, I'm coming to see you tomorrow. And he, and he just smiled and he died two hours later. Whoa. Uh, so I then, I was 27. So I thought, oh, does he mean I'm going to die and go to heaven and see him? You know? <laughs> and I, 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 I spent about a year ignoring that. And then I spent the next two or three years thinking about it. You know, well, suppose I am going to die when I'm 31. Well, I'm going to die sometime anyway what what would i change about my life you know what would i do differently how would i like to be and live so it set me on a path if you like or i probably was already on something of a path you know like you could say a wisdom seeking journey um and it it opened up i can i mean it would take a long time to tell you all of the s stories that relate to this one phenomenon. But I can tell you that uh, after another two or three years, I did have a kind of breakthrough uh, in which I lost my fear of death entirely. Right. And that's the first thing. And the second thing is um, that I, I came to understand what my grandfather meant or may have meant as seeing like unconditional seeing without any kind of uh, interference or barriers and that his the way his way of seeing was love so that um, so that I felt one day this immense like blanket of, of, of warm bright love from my grandfather and similarly felt my love for him, which hadn't been the case in life. I mean, you know, I probably have felt it unconsciously, but it, we'd never kind of spoken in that kind of way. And he was not an educated man. He was a build, building site laborer most of his life. And he, he was not a verbal person. He wasn't a talker. Um, but anyway, it it it, uh, it it gave me a sense of of, of, of self worth that was you know really powerful, and it was a wonderful experience. And as I say, I, I, it helped me in my personal uh, quest for authenticity and 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 uh, learning how to live, 
how to live a good life. It was good. So did anything happen? That, that, is that what happened? All that, that relates back to those Aboriginals and their <laughs> yeah, that's right. Their, that, their, their, their powers. Did that feeling come at the four-year mark? Is that what you're saying? Say again? That that feeling that you got where you uh, we sort of accepted accepted things, did that come at the four-year mark? Oh, yeah, it came up probably maybe just a little bit ahead of that. So yeah. it was right. So you're in four years. There were, there were some other He's got you back. things involved. Um, somebody I was had been very close to also got uh, terminal cancer. And so I was having to fa- face not just, you know, the possibility of my own death, but actually the death of a close friend also. Yeah. Um, and... Um, I, I had a I had a dream in one night, for instance, in which uh, I was killed, but I was alive. Okay. You know, uh, some bullets shattered into through my head. Yeah. And yet I was still there, and it was like oh. And then um, there was another time, around the same time, when um, again this happened in in Adelaide. I lived in a uh, an old style bungalow with thick walls and a tin roof. Mm, that sounds about and, right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I woke in the night and there was this absolute he- horrendous rainstorm. Uh, but when I woke up again in the morning, the sun was shining and it was bright and everything looked beautiful and clean and fresh. And when I opened my bedroom door, there was this, this, this what seemed at the time a huge lizard yeah. on the floor looking up at me as I opened the door and for some reason, because I was so reflecting so closely on my own death at the time, I thought, Oh my goodness, this is my death. It's come to, to greet me. And I, I got a great pul- pulsing of the heart and, and a feeling of fear, uh, which all I, I thought to myself, Oh, I just got to calm down. I just got to let this calm down. And, um, I went into another room. I actually get past this creature and I, I got into another room, just sat there and I don't know for quite a long time while I calmed down. And then when I felt okay again, I went and had a shower, which was down the hall. And, uh, and when I, and, and I couldn't see the, the, this lizard, but when I came back from the shower to go to the bedroom, uh, there it was again. Mm. And I looked and I saw, Oh, it's just a small little creature. It's just, it's a feeble little yeah, thing, yeah. and it's more frightening to me than I uh, is. I mean, I assume it had come in out into the house out of the get out of the wet, you know. And um, that that was that marked a, a a moment of growth for me. I I didn't fear death ever after that. I did have a moment where I felt um, a kind of grieving. Yeah. Uh, I was again in South Australia. I was driving along. It was a beautiful evening, and uh, I was—I was must have been in the outside the sit outside the city because I sort of remember that the sea. I was driving away from the sea. I could see the sea in the mirror of the car, and I was—and it was a beautiful hillside with you know eucalyptus trees and all this. And I suddenly found myself just weeping. I had to just pull off the road because I couldn't see. Um, because I thought, oh, I've got to leave this behind. I've got one day, one day, whenever it is that I die, I've got to leave all this behind. And it was like I was weeping for myself. I was yeah, right. <laughs> grieving for myself. I mean, that, you know, what are we now, 50 years on or something? No, 40 years on. Yeah, right. Uh, You've got to the whole, and, uh, the whole process. 
It's uh, yeah. isn't there stages to to accepting death? I think it's like even yeah. on both sides, right? They're like, yeah. if you're if you know some the grieving process, and then there's the the process that I think people go through when they find out they're dying. Yeah, you've already been through it. I've done it. It's already, <laughs> I've been it's there. A- and my 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 wife Sarah <laughs> is she 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 kind of mews because I say, for goodness sake, if I collapse, let me die. Don't let them. Don't let the paramedics near me. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Just let it go. <laughs> I don't want to come. I don't want to resuscitate. <laughs> well, we're actually <laughs> talking about this uh, before. I think me and my partner with um, this is Prince Philip. I know this is a uh, this is pretty well off topic. It just it just reminded me. It just circled back. How it was like, I think he was like a man who was just like, just let it go. I think he's he's done enough. He's had yeah. enough life. I guess yeah. like you'd probably get to that point in your life, right? Where you're just like, like I've seen everything. I've done everything. I've ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Um, there's a really weird thing around death, I guess. It's like, uh, I guess there's like the mourning and the missing. And uh, it's typically always like really sudden. So then there's that, that, that knee jerk emotional reaction to it. But it's so I always found like death really weird because we know it's coming and we know it happens, and yet it always like it always like uh, you always get the same response. You know what I mean? There's there's a, a great amount of fear going into it if you're the one dying, and then there's a great amount of sadness uh, if you yeah. if you know somebody who's dying. But I don't know. I think there's something like oddly calming about it uh, for some reason. Like um, I've had a lot of people in my life like pass away. And there's, I think the the saddest I was ever was like when my puppy died when I was when I was young, and then after that there was like a weird sense of like, uh, it's so it's like that it's not done, you know what I mean? Like it's not this like infinite end. And I think that yeah. I don't know if it was like a defense mechanism in my brain going like you don't like being sad, uh, but then it was always like a like I'll see you later rather than a goodbye. I guess that's probably the best yeah. way to explain it. Uh, and then like ever since then, like death hasn't been horrendous for me. Um, once again, I don't know if it's a, a defense thing, but I, I think that there has to be a little more to it. Right. You know, it can't just be this, you're in the ground and, and that's the end of it. There has to be, there has to be something surely. I think, I think a lot of, um, spiritual guides and teachers and philosophers, um, uh, talk of death as a teacher. Yeah. And, uh, I remember my, Many years ago, before all this that I've sorry I've been telling you, we um, I, I can't just for the minute remember the um, the, the the main book that this fellow wrote. But anyway, he, he said, "Imagine death as a great bird on your shoulder, and imagine it as a friend, mm. a great raven or some such thing." And and the idea is, and and also the ancient Greek philosophers, they used to recommend contemplating your own death as as a spiritual exercise, um, so that each moment might be your last, but each moment is also the your first. It's like everything's new right now, and it it makes life vibrant, vital. Really, yeah. you know the fact that you may. Um, not survive this day, um, it, it, and for each of us, actually, that's true. And and nothing brings that home more powerfully than the COVID epidemic. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it spares nobody. Um, so it it is a it is it is a um, something that 
it's it's almost too late if you if you leave it till you're dying it's almost you've left it too late to to get the benefit if you like of uh, of the perspective that death gives you yeah and um and i think the culture we have is uh, out of balance because so many people have the uh, almost expectation that modern technology modern medicine can fix things yeah which of course to a great degree in an astonishing degree it can fix things but but you know you it doesn't take you long as a medical student and as a doctor to uh, uh, to realize that um actually it's it can prolong life but it can't prevent death yeah ultimately you know but i think that's uh, like and so that is a great sorry you go go on uh, I was just going to say, I think... No, no, you, you. I do, I do a lot of the talking. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I, we were talking about me going to interview you, but yeah, I that's right. I've been doing all the talking. I think it's um <laughs> like people, this whole extension of life, isn't it just like this... Uh, ex- uh, this is going to sound harsh. And like you said, uh, the fear of death, or the fear of anything can either be used to, to, to sort of squash you down to you know to stop you from moving forward you know look at it in like the most simplest things like gonna go ask a girl on a date gonna start your own business like there's all these things that fear stops you from doing and stops you from moving forward where death is like the ultimate version of that where it's like it sort of stops you from doing things in life from from this ultimate fear that you can't come back from it but i think if you use fear to harness yourself like he said where it can be Rather than be looking at like this could be the last thing I do, it, it could be the next thing that you do because of it being the last thing you could do. If that makes sense, like it's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a make, driving force. Make it force. an adventure. Make make it an adventure. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I, a friend of mine who's eighty something had to have an operation. Um, I think it was on his heart. Yeah, so there's a significant risk to that. I said to him, and he, I was, and he was, you know, he was frightened. I mean, he was a stiff upper lip type of person; wouldn't want to show it. But I knew he was, a, he was frightened. I said, "Well, look, making an adventure. You're going to have an adventure," <laughs> and that changed his attitude. He went home and told his wife, "I'm going to, I'm going to treat it like I'm having an adventure." And of course, he came through it fine. He was absolutely fine. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, um, I, I've, I've got a. Uh, a friend uh, who is called Monica Renz, R-E-N-Z. Monica is uh, a, uh, she's head of what's called psycho-oncology in a big hospital in Switzerland. Yeah. And psycho-oncology is, uh, is the psychology of dying, really. You know, oncology is about treating cancer, isn't yeah. it? So, so uh, and so she, and she's also a musician and she, she's written a couple of uh, a terrific, uh books um which uh, one is called dying a transition and she speaks about the stages if you like or the transitional phases that people go through right to the last you know putting putting their houses in order both in terms of the sort of nuts and bolts of their finances and the mortgages and the, all that sort of thing, but also their, their relationships and their, and also to some extent their spiritual lives. Um, 
And this is why, in a sense, I'm not totally in favor of the idea of, um, well, there's a couple of reasons why I'm not in favor of the idea of um, assisted dying. You know, when right. people are terminally ill, they go for assisted dying. Yeah. I can understand how people w want to avoid the sort of helplessness of uh, uh, they may feel the 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 sort of um, the obviously the pain and suffering and so on, but people go on growing. It seems as as people right to the right through this yeah. uh, process, and also they provide an opportunity for other people to get close to them in the way that they hadn't been able to necessarily before. And I suppose there's another argument again to assisted dying, which is that you know I'm, I'm a doctor, but you couldn't ask me to kill another person. I wouldn't, or assist them to die. I would think that would be harmful to my soul, really, if I, to put it that way. Yeah, that's. So, uh, um, that's but I, I, you know, it's 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 topical because I think there's been yet another uh, call to introduce legislation to allow it to to happen in this country uh, fairly recently. So. Um, you know, the debate will go on. But anyway, my own thoughts are there that um, that people go on growing. And, 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 a, and another thought that I've been having recently uh, concerns what happens, what happens when you die? Mm. What happens when you die? I mean, what's the, if, if the fear is of death, I remember there was a kind of humorous uh, um, broadcaster in america who said who once said um who, who claimed or he or had somebody claiming to be able to speak to people who had died or yeah. listen to people who had died anyway, so one of these voices came through and they said well you you know you know <laughs> the thing about death is it's completely safe Nothing yeah. can happen to you again once you're dead. You know, That's it. you can, can only get it once. I, mean, I don't know what happens. <laughs> I don't know what happens when people die. I absolutely don't know. Um, I don't. Um, I, but I, I'm looking forward to finding out, even if it's nothing. You know, even if it's oblivion. I mean, I'm still it's excited by the idea that uh, that eventually, um, you know, one's life is is uh, comes to a close. But I'm increasingly attracted to the idea of re reincarnation and rebirth. Um, I have no reason to believe that it happens, no reason particularly to reject it. In fact, there is some reason to believe it because there are people doing research on children who remember their previous yes. lives and can recognize, you know, objects and places and people from their earlier lives. And I've read some of that research. Um, uh, but but I think, but why am I, why am I, you know, why am I learning the guitar? Why did I start learning the guitar when I'm in my late sixties and now in my seventies and I'm still having lessons and trying to get better at having the guitar. And I think, well, who knows, maybe I'll be a gifted musician in another, in my yeah. next incarnation. I don't know. You know, why do I go on writing and reading things and and trying to get my golf handicap down and all that kind of stuff well maybe who knows well if you're if you're actually even more to the point why do i try continually to as it were become a better person a wiser person a kinder person well you know in some way that seems to me that even when i'm no longer around that might be contributing to the well-being of others on the planet one can only hope. 
uh, anyway, the what's the alternative? Yeah, I think uh, like regardless of what you believe in, it's pretty like like I, I think it it only varies like who you talk to at the time and and their particular position in life, what they believe and what happens at the end. I guess you'll find that like people who have like this sort of uh, pessimistic view of the world just believes that it yeah. ends, it's just done. Like everything's bad here, so nothing can good, nothing good can happen after. You know what I mean? Whereas right. like. If you're fairly optimistic, you believe in something a, a little larger. I think um, also that some of it may have been ruined by religion in a sense that, you know, the the idea of death comes with judgment. Um, yeah. it, it's not just a, like you die and then something else happens. It's like you die and then you have to go get approval from someone to, to uh, you know, yeah. live happy forever or you get sent to hell. You know, um, so I think it's that sort of like skewed people's uh, like vision on, on what actually happens at death. And I think the bit like they've, um, I think they've interviewed people that have actually died, um, and come back and and like that death experience, yeah. And the stories vary. I think there's actually like a, a documentary. Like I think it's a limited series on on Netflix that I watched uh, a little bit of 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 people who have died and come back. And the the stories are crazy. It's um, you know, some of them like being told that. Uh, I remember one story. It was uh, this lady was whitewater rafting and she she fell overboard and drowned. Um, right. And then she was like, "I saw the light. I uh, and then I saw this being. I couldn't make it out. I think this is it. I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I'm sort of probably butchering it." And then she was like, "The th- the this thing told her to spend time with her son because she doesn't yeah. have that long with him." She's yeah, and then it told her like here he will pass away when he turns like 18 or something. Uh, and it was something that she, she sat on for so long and she didn't tell him. Uh, and then eventually she told him and then right before he turned 18, he died. He was in a car accident. Um, right. So it's like, how do you, how do you take that story and go like, there's nothing happens afterwards or, um, or was it just like the brain, you know what I mean? Like, how could you have known? Uh, just like the story with you with the uh, the lady at Uluru. It's like, how yeah. do you know? That there has to be this. There's this weird line between like us uh, as we are now, um, and then there's something else. And I think it's just we don't know what it is. And it's uh, I, I think like you saying the 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 prospect of death. And I think like even you saying or anybody saying it, going, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what it's about. Everyone goes, you're you're a little crazy. <laughs> like, I'm definitely a little crazy. Actually, yeah. a lot crazy uh, yeah. in 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 many people's terms. But then you know, I'm a psychiatrist. I why not? You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're going to be tarred with that brush. You might as well live it. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I'm right. happy. You know, I'm a happy. I'm a glad mad. You know, there are only four kinds of madness. I think, um, and um, they, it goes like this: There's bad mad. Uh, and then there's mad mad, which is like angry mad. And then there's sad mad. Mm. And then there's glad mad. So I'm glad mad. <laughs> Sounds like a um, like a Disney and, movie. <laughs> Old sad uh, mad and glad mad. But um, actually, uh, going back to the thing about the near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences that people have, I've read a lot about that. In fact, I've it's fallen to me a couple of times in the last two or three years to re- re- read and review books on those subjects. In fact, I've just not 
long ago finished re reviewing a, a book by a friend of mine who has chapters on those things. Now, there are a lot of, and I've met, I've met people who research. I met a chap called uh, Pim Van Lommel. And Pim Van Lommel was a, is a cardiologist, a heart specialist, whose patients started telling him about their near-death experiences. Yeah. And uh, he, of course, was quite skeptical, but now he's completely converted to the idea that, and, and he's the, you know, he'll tell you one in so many thousand cases of heart attacks, victims have these experiences, et cetera. Yeah. And there are some common factors, a, a, a great light that is brighter than anything but doesn't hurt the eyes, a tunnel sometimes, um, being told that your time isn't up, you've got to go back, you've work to do. Yeah. Um, and the, and, ref, and uh, reflecting on what you were talking about, the judgment aspect, they get um, a life review, but it's not like judgment, it's like the you you relive your life but from the point of view of the people you've interacted with in other words if you say something nice to somebody or do something nice for somebody you feel that the the the, the warmth and positivity that that person feels and uh, and similarly if you've been unkind in some way or neglectful or some way to, to some or done some harm to somebody you feel that as if you were the your own victim yeah 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 cool. it's an educational experience it's not a it's not a judgmental one it's about learning about yourself and how to be better that's how people describe it i mean i i've met people who've had such experiences where they've met a a being who sort of glows and tells them things, uh, you know, whether, uh, how, how, I mean, according to the researchers, you know, these people are dead, you know, they are yeah. clinically dead. There's no brain activity going on at all. So what's happening? Well, we don't know. It's a mystery. And I, I, I rather enjoy mystery. You know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, that the we, there are things that we cannot know. Science has limits. Yeah, Fine. I think that's uh that probably explains the whole heaven and hell thing, right? Like I think who was I talking to? Um uh, anyway. Um so it's like like you take the Bible and you take anything that's in it, the heaven, the hell, the god, the devil, all that type of stuff and you can sort of relate it back to something, right? And it's just been like extrapolated over years and twisted yeah, and turned yeah. and made bigger out. No, it's it, it comes down to like it, even nowadays uh, if you go to the pub and you talk to somebody, they'll tell you the the biggest story possible, and it's only ten percent of it. So you could sort of probably go, maybe maybe they kind of did that with the Bible to 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 push it a little harder. So even what you were saying just then kind of makes a little bit of sense. Where it's like if you if you die and you come back, because people back then would have died and and, and maybe made it through somehow, uh, and they go mm -hmm. like, I felt this warmth and 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 happiness and joy. Uh, yeah. and then people just associate it because when you die, it's forever. You're going to feel that forever. So that good feeling that you got, that's a, that's a heaven, and we'll apply that to God, and that makes sense. And then they go, well, then I died, and I felt like shit because I'm a horrible person. And they're like, yep, that's, that's the devil right there. That's, that must be hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it kind of makes sense. I wanted to ask you about something. I, this, this thing has been bothering me forever. I, uh, I was watching this uh, YouTube video, uh, uh, just something random. And I think it sort of relates to what we're talking about now. There was a man 
he found a, a girlfriend in high school. Uh, loved her to death. Um, went throughout his life with her. Had kids, got married, got a job. He's having like a terrific life. And then one day he was laying on the lounge. His, uh, his partner and his kids were out. He was laying on the lounge watching TV. Uh, out of the corner of his eye, you could see a red lamp. Uh, every time he looked at the lamp, it was like kind of blurry. It was like it was super blurry, and he looked around, and nothing else was blurry. Um, and he kind of tried to ignore it. His kids and wife came home. He put him to bed. He kept staring at the lamp, and it it just remained blurry, right? Uh, so this continued on for days and days and days. He just kept staring at the lamp. He took time off work. Um, his wife started to really worry. And as this was going on, the lamp started to get bigger, right? Bigger and brighter and bigger and brighter. And then eventually after, I think he said about a week or 10 days or something, the lamp was so big that it filled the entire room. And then he woke mm-hmm. up back in high oh. school. So oh. 10 years later, I think it was, he woke up to, to a policeman rushing over to him, picking him up and then running him, like taking him to the hospital uh, and uh, so the, the morbid part of the story is, is obviously afterwards, like it was so real for him. Uh, yeah. He had crushing depression because he just lost his wife. He just lost his kids. And there's a part of his brain that used to see, like when he, when he was asleep, that used to see his son. Uh, and his uh-huh. son was trying to talk to him and he couldn't hear him uh-huh. and he couldn't say anything back. Is that, would that be something to do with the brain activity? Like how would your brain do that to you have you heard of this story or is it some guy no, making shit up i haven't heard of the story and uh i i don't i don't know is the answer i don't know how uh how i mean i don't think anybody really understands dreams at all how they happen i happen to be a, a prolific dreamer most nights i dream sometimes two or three dreams yeah i don't always remember them I don't always bother to remember them, but sometimes I, quite a lot I thought um, I do. Um, they, don't, they don't often make a lot of sense. There, there are some recurring themes in the dreams I have. I don't know. I mean, okay, we know a little bit about brain activity during dreaming, the rapid eye movement, uh, sleep phase, and it's uh, associated brain waves and so on, patterns. But that it doesn't kind of explain a lot. Um, and, and uh, you know, there've been so many theories. Um, I prefer to just t- take them as they are. And, you know, sometimes I tell Sarah about it in the morning, if I've had a particularly vivid or, you know, powerful dream, some of them are good dreams. Some of them are uncomfortable. Yeah. They're not really nightmares, but they're just not very nice. Um, quite often they're related to, you know, my daily activities, driving my car, playing golf, stuff like that, <laughs> you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, they don't make sense. So I know I, I, I can't help you, Josh, with that story. I really don't know what it was about. I'm going to ask everybody. i gotta, no. I got to know more but about I, this. I mean, it, there is something I, I'm struggling to, to think through and try and say about that. I mean... That people do have life-changing um, uh, uh, experiences, either during dreams or other kind of um, 
what do they call them Ab abnormal mental states or non non something mental states i've got exactly um what the terminology is but or, or and and sometimes in induced by uh hallucinogenic substances and so on you know yeah. or or hypoxia you know people who who um uh, deliberately reduce their oxygen supplies and things like that. You get a kind of, you get it alt, alt, just altered states of mind. Um, and there's quite a lot of, I mean, a lot of uh, um, literature, isn't there? A lot of, a lot of accounts of um, spiritual experiences. And so the, the discussion is about whether they are valid spiritual experiences if they're induced by um, some sort of uh, a peyote drug or yeah, something yeah. like that, or or LSD. I think there was a famous experiment in which theology students, I think it was, was it, uh, um, oh, I'm, it's, it was a, it's a long time since I read it, and it was even longer since it was, conducted and written up but anyway some th theology students were split in two and half of them uh, over a religious particular religious weekend half of them were given lsd and the other half weren't and the ones with lsd kind of it, it made a difference to them yeah. in their experiences of the weekend and in terms of their if you like their whole life spirituality oh yeah um and um yeah there the, the, you know there is some Alcohol, alcohol is widely used as an adjunct to religious celebrations, too. So, inducing altered states, I suspect it's something to do with um, with damping down your the sort of logical left side of the brain and letting the holistic, sort of more um, uh, creative and intuitive, and if you like, spiritual right side of the brain take over or at least have more influence something about that uh i i um I, you know it's difficult to know and i and of, of course i certainly wouldn't recommend uh using sub substances as a pathway to spiritual development unless you're pretty well pretty advanced already there is actually um somebody who has done a lot of who done a, a guy called chris bache b-a-c-h-e chris bache um uh where's this book i've got his book right here it, it i can't just see it on the shelf i'm looking at my shelf here and uh, but he he um was a psychologist who um he is a psychologist who over a period of something like 20 years took uh I forget how many, let's say 120 LSD trips yeah, right. under controlled conditions. So he yeah. had a room in his house. It was always on a Saturday when he wasn't doing anything else. Uh, his wife was, or somebody else was make sure he was okay. And he would take a good big dose of LSD in the morning. And then he would, spend the Sunday of that weekend writing up his recollection of what went, he went through. And it's a very, it's a very remarkable uh, account. I mean, he went through some really unpleasant experiences, oh, you yeah. know, um, it makes you, uh, 
physically unwell, a lot of purgatory, purgation, literally, you know, being sick and diarrhea and all that kind of horrible thing stuff, but also some terrifying experiences and, and, uh, but also some fantastic ones, which he almost, you know, kind of, he, he decided in, I forget when, in the late nineties or early two thousands, he decided to stop and it hasn't done it since. Um, but, um, he still occasionally seems to miss, uh, the, the, the high ecstatic part of the experience. Yeah. Now, yeah. He makes a strong case for a, a spiritual, you know, the, like a spiritual um, um, th that what's real is spiritual, and what it, what's what the lives we live are all kind of like just the froth on the surface of yeah. the of the deep spiritual reality underneath it all. Um, it, it's it's. Uh, let me. I just have another quick. See if I could just, because I I wanted to tell you the title of the book, so that uh, it's something about. What was his name again? Uh, Beige. Oh, here it is. LSD and the mind of the universe. Oh. Diamonds from heaven. His name is Beige. B a c h e. I've I've emailed backwards and forwards with him a little bit. Um. I think it's it's a bit like he's a bit like a, a pioneer, you know, like Neil Armstrong going to the moon. You know, he's yeah. he's somebody who's who's really um, taken a step in a in a way that I would not recommend, and I'm sure he wouldn't recommend anybody else doing. Um, but it uh, it is fascinating. Yeah, he'd uh, he'd be a guy I'd love to chat with. That'd be great. Oh, well, well, he might do that. He's in America. I'm gonna, He's, uh, I'm gonna email him. But I th I think I'll, I've got his. Uh, I can email. I can let you have his email address. That'd be great. I'll um, have uh, I'll have a chat to him about it. I think. But I think I think there's a long line of people who want to talk to him as well. I, I can guarantee. Well. I can guarantee. I mean, I I, um, I sent him a copy of my uh, my big book of wisdom, hoping that he would endorse it but i basically got the message that um you know actually i have too much to read sorry larry but never mind but good good luck to him i think he's a great uh he's done a great service um and taken a big risk and uh yeah it's however, um, there's I a couple of, there's a couple of guys out there that are very they advocate for uh uh for like uh, like magic mushrooms and LSD in terms of um, yeah. I think they're starting to use it for like PTSD and stuff like that um, in terms of like yeah. it opening neural pathways and you can sort of redirect and reposition your thoughts and yeah. feelings on, on things. Uh, there's also like the, the, the further extent. Um, so there's been like several cases of uh, the extreme version of it. It's a DMT. It's like a dimethyltryptamine, I think. It's like yeah. very strong, very potent stuff where... Um, people have associated it with uh, like the the doorway to the next realm, um, yeah. And it's had like sort of. It's very hard to say because you when you use any of this stuff, it's you immediately go you're a hippie, you know, because it's always back to that that you know you yeah, you're, yeah. you're out in the bush dancing with fairies and stuff. 
Um, but these people, like several cases, like actually there's there's been a bunch of them where they've seen, they, they haven't been together. They've been, you know, on different sides of the planet doing different things at different times and they've seen the same thing, exactly the same yeah. and they describe it to a perfect T. Um, yeah. They haven't talked, to, spoken about it and it's just sort of, like come to light just through general conversation and they're like i have seen that exact same thing when i'm on it which is which is bizarre because it's like you think these things that you take like when people have alcohol they don't have the same experience um people smoke marijuana or do cocaine it's not the you know it's not really the same experience especially when it comes to like altering your mind state uh even mushrooms you don't really see or do the same things but uh with this with this DMT apparently they saw the exact same thing and that it gave them a similar well, I message. I wonder if it's if it, uh, I wonder if it's um, you know the kind of thing that that Jung uh, Carl Jung investigated where he investigated many different cultures, some of whom did use you know peyote and other uh, mind expanding substances, and he he's he wrote in terms of archetypes. Yeah. So the archetypes are and symbols and how the same symbols and the same archetypes cropped up in these different cultures. So I'm wondering, without knowing much more about what you're just telling me, um, whether that's whether those things that people saw that that were all the same, whether they map onto the same sort of symbols and archetypes that Jung was interested in. It seems it seems a possibility. Yeah, that, exactly. You know that that these are some etched in our souls in some way and that we share them i don't know it's difficult well i I do want to i do want to sound a note of caution here i I want to say it again that i don't recommend myself that people should take mind expanding uh substances Mm -hmm. um and one of the reasons is that there are other ways which are safer uh and in a way um i think uh, well better um, to to get to get to the same place, and 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 I'm talking about the kind of wisdom practices that I mentioned when we last spoke, the kind of spiritual exercises, particularly meditation, ref, uh, reflective practice, engaging with nature, um, re- reading, reading scripture, reading philosophy, reading literature, reading poetry, you know, engaging with. Uh, the natural world, uh, making, uh, uh, doing acts of service and acts of kindness for other people, you know, these kind of things, you will, over a lifetime, gain spiritual insights. And if you then uh, take uh, um, under, a, you know, not illegally and, and a good save circumstances um take mind altering substances it may be that that will promote that process but i think there are great risks and of course most people who take mind altering substances they don't do it for the reasons of self-exploration they do it for some sort of distraction purposes or yeah that's right or or um uh entertainment almost you know and I, I, so I, I am very cautious, uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering whether I should uh, open my mouth and mention the one time where I took a mind-altering substance. If you tell me I your story, the... I will tell you mine. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll be, we'll be, 
Let's do it together. Uh, Let's do it together, Larry. Yeah, they can't. They can't get both of us together. Okay, fine. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was a 23 year old medical student with, um, with a, a, a tab of acid in my wallet. Oh yeah. Which I carried around for a year, waiting for the right opportunity to take it, and I, I didn't actually think it would ever come. And I also thought that after a year, this actually it was a little piece of blotting paper. Yeah, it's not a lot. And I thought, well, it's not going to work anyway. I've had it in my wallet for a year. Look at that, and uh, it won't work anyway. I was w- went to visit. Um, I was a, I was a student at Cambridge. I'd finished there and gone to London to continue my medical studies, but. Um, uh, but uh, one of my Cambridge friends had gone to uh, study in Oxford, study engineering. And uh, another of my friends from Cambridge and I w- went to visit uh, this other fellow who I might as well call John. So, so Neil and I went to see John in Oxford and uh, he was, and it was a weekend. Uh, can't, I think it might, it might have been a Saturday or maybe we went up there on the Friday night and then on the Saturday, anyway, this morning we went into one of the colleges where he was, he was attached to this college. I won't mention which one particularly doesn't really matter. Um, and um, we, we didn't know what to do with the day. And we were sort of sitting around maybe having a cup of coffee or something. And uh, the subject of this uh, acid tab came up <laughs> And these two guys said they would look after me if I took it. They would look after me. And and Neil had done acid himself and knew what it might happen. And yeah. and and John hadn't. But they they said um, they they took care of me. So okay, so I took it, completely thinking nothing was going to happen. Oh yeah. And of course, I had a trip. You know, I had a trip which was. Uh, astonishing. I still remember quite a lot of detail about it, and I wrote an account of it the following day, um, as well. And it started off pretty amazing. And I, I remember these two guys. We were in walking around the the sort of college um, uh, grounds, quite some beautiful garden area, and um, uh, and I kept having these terrific insights I could, I could understand things that i had never understood before oh yeah and the guys were saying well tell us tell us and i said yeah yeah i will i'll tell you what but later i'm still it's still happening i'm still getting these new more things are coming into my brain and of course later on, i couldn't remember any of it I was, right. <laughs> whatever it was that i had understood that was so fantastic i couldn't and then later we went out uh, the college and into some parkland and i started to see um, it, it was a windy day that I saw the trees were dancing. Actually, if you go and look at uh, trees in the wind now, I, you, I was, wasn't seeing anything that wasn't yeah, that's right. normally, but I, I hadn't noticed it before. And I, and it was seen so uh, terrific. And I, I felt like I was connected in some way. Um, anyway, with, without going into too much more detail there later in the day, oh, things didn't start to sort of winding down. And I, I didn't get exactly panicky, but I, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe. I think one when we came out of this park, we had to cross a road. There was a lot of traffic, and I think my vision had got a bit blurry by now. And um, I just stepped out, and I was very, very close to a car, 
I don't know whether it stopped and actually was touching my, you know, me or anyway, I suddenly became a little frightened. Mm. And all I wanted to do then was go back to, to John's apartment, his flat where he was living and, uh, and sort of chill out. And, um, uh, and things, things weren't, you know, it just, I just felt this unease, general unease. And eventually, you know, it was all over. It was all over within maybe five hours or something like that. Um, and then I would just felt completely flat, you know, it was like, all my emotions had just drained out of me. But as I say, the next day I, I went, uh, I went back home and I wrote an account of it, which I have here somewhere. I must reread it sometime. Yeah, pick it back up. Um, it, it made a difference to me. I think it did make a difference to me. I, I think there was an, a, a, you know, a, a, a subsequent sense that there were things, mysteries that I hadn't been aware of that could be important and um, whatever. It gave me a nudge, if you like. Um, I certainly didn't feel like I wanted to do LSD again. I never have. It's a bit um, rough. LSD is a bit, a bit harsh. It. Uh, so I've done. I've done. I've done that. I've done that, and I've done mushrooms. And uh, mushrooms, comparatively, comparatively, much better. Um, really? In terms of like strength, um, and you can control mushrooms a little bit. Where, whereas acid, that's like a, a ride that you just get on and. And hope for the best. Uh, my story went for a little longer. Mine was almost uh, fourteen hours. It was a uh, it was a long one. Uh, once again, I think it's um, and, and I did it at the wrong time. Whereas the mushrooms I did when I was a little bit older and I knew myself a lot better. Um, but I think similar to you, you, you start to obviously when it starts, it's, it's fantastic. You're starting to see things and everything moves and it's got this sort of rhythm to it. Um, yeah. but I think it's so connected to your brain as when, when the, the night gets on or the day gets on and you start to get a little bit more tired, like emotionally starts to go a little bit drained. So then things start to get a little darker and uh, right. a little more scary. And, uh, and this is why you need safe spaces. Um, but mine was, uh, I laid in the backyard for, for about three hours looking up at the stars and that was it. Uh, that was right. probably the extent of it. Then I went walking uh, and then I went to a gig, which was a horrible idea. Uh, I was watching music, very loud music, uh, yeah. in a very dark room uh, with yeah. a lot of shadows. So that was a horrible, horrible idea. Yeah. It's um, it is, but relating it back to what we we're talking about, uh, to in in terms of like, like the old indigenous people, like it, it's very um prominent in um Native Americans, yeah. doing peyote and stuff, and you you're under the light and you're with a group of people and there's generally music and there's there's something to sort of to, to swing your, your way. And I found with mushrooms that um, with that control and if you have a bit more control over what you think and emotionally, if you're a little bit more in tune with yourself, it's actually very insightful. It's incredibly insightful. Um, yeah. I found that if I get stuck emotionally, uh, and once again, I don't do, this is not a, a very regular thing. It is once... You've done mushrooms twice. Um, emotionally, it's it clears out a lot of clutter. Like as you were finding when you were walking through, and things were hitting your brain, and you're like, "I get it now. Like I understand this thing." Even though you didn't remember it, 
Yeah. It brings a bit of clarity to your life. Um, and mm. once again, I think, uh, as you were saying before, a lot of people abuse it, just like alcohol. Alcohol can be really fun or it can be yeah. really horrible. Um, yeah. And there's a very fine line between it. I think this is the same as these, these psychedelics that people take. I think if you use them correctly and you're you're in a safe space and you're using them introspectively and you want to to open your brain up a little bit, you wanna you want a different perspective. Um, I think people need to step outside of themselves and have a look at themselves every so often. And I think this, like things like especially mushrooms, LSD is probably a bit a bit too much. Um, how's the mushrooms? Uh, the last time I did mushrooms, I'll tell you my story. I did nothing. I laid on the lounge and uh, I took yeah. it all in. Every thought, every feeling, things that made me angry, things that made me sad, and I sat in it, and I I really took it on board. Uh, instead of instead of reacting to those emotions that were coming in, I sat there and I sat with it, and I think, in turn, it, outside of it, made me better. It made me realize that you don't need to react immediately to to the emotion that's coming in, mm. and you can sit and you can control it and, and not and not be so explosive. That, that's no, that, that sounds very mature and uh, I, I you know can I, I think that's fine that's absolutely fine I'd like to know a little bit more about you Josh a little bit more about how you got to being that person who was interested in your inner self you know like you know maybe you know what kind of a childhood you had and so on things <laughs> like that uh, I, had a, I had a horrible upbringing it was bad I, uh, I moved a lot uh, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, so it's, I, I think, I don't remember a lot. It's very patchy. Um, a lot of How many in the family? So there was, uh, I have two older brothers and a younger sister, and then obviously my mum and dad. Um, so what I really remember, there's, there's I, like, I don't really remember good times. I remember, I remember being hard, like very, very, very hard. Uh, once again, moved a lot, very poor. Uh, I was sexually abused when I was younger, uh, physically abused. I was introduced to drugs and alcohol like very early, uh, not in terms of like me doing them, but seeing them actively done. Um, so like it's like all of those things that sort of really skews you off your path very early. Um, yeah. Didn't really. So, sim- uh, how on earth did you get back straight? Uh, it took a lot. It took a good long while. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, I think that's what made me a little bit introspective. It was, I, I think, like, when you come from that type of place, it's not just your family, your immediate family. It's, it's, it's sort of your external family as well. So you see these, these mistakes being made constantly by your family members and you're like, like, why are we still doing this? Like, why are we still you know, drinking to excess or doing drugs to excess or, you know what I mean? And then you, you sort of, you take a step back and you're using our children and things like that. Yeah. That's exactly right. Are, so are, then, you the, are you the only one who's escaped or have any of your siblings? Uh, I escaped in like how, like there is no escaping it. You just, uh, um, but well, you, you don't live that way now. Uh, no, definitely not. But I still, I still have, many things that I need to, to buff out. And I think, um, I think things like I was very independent at, at a young age as well. Um, so by like, you know, by the time I, I rooted myself into a school, like a permanent school where I was there for longer than a year or two, 
Um, and then started making friends and then I started hanging out with my friends more and then you start to see how other people live and once again, once you make that connection and if you're wise enough, you kind of go, I don't want to do it. So then I started making my own path. Um, how old would you have been? 15, um, 13, 14 maybe. 13 and 14 when I started to realise things were wrong. Like up until this point, I think it's... Um, you can look at any type of abusive relationship. Uh, it comes with a, a sense of uh, no no external information coming in, right? So the, if you, as an abuser, like even not saying that my parents were abusers, they did with what they could with with they had with what they had, um, and they probably just didn't know any better, and they were just stumbling through life like the rest of us, right? But then mm. there's a, a the, the the things that come along with it, so. By the time I was like 12 and 13, I was allowed to go to like my friend's house. Uh, I was before, but it was only for, you know, a couple of hours or whatever. Uh, or maybe a, like a drop a drop off late, pick up very early. Um, but at 12 or 13, I went to my friend's house and I was allowed to stay there for like a whole weekend, like a Friday night, a Saturday. And it was, uh, it was a really weird turnaround going like, wait, you guys have food in your house all the time? And they're like, yeah. And... Then they'd come over to my house and they're like, why do you have no food at all? And then uh, just the, the, the relationships between them and their parents uh, are vastly different. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, it's, uh, uh, and then you start to connect dots that things are wrong. Things are, things are not, you know, this isn't, the way I live isn't normal. Like I always thought that, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and, then, and then I started, obviously there's a, a complete overcorrection in terms of like uh, you make your friends and you want to do things to please your friends and then sort of fell into the trap of trying to combine the worlds where like the drinking and the, the drugs were involved and, and uh, you know, pushing my blame onto everybody else and not taking responsibility for my actions. And, um, and then that sort of all happened. And then it all came to like a point when I was like 25, the, the ultimate point where I was trying to juggle both worlds. Um, I ran a very successful uh, personal training business and I was making, I was making a lot of money. Um, I was bringing it back, trying to like make everybody happy. And I was like, look, I'm doing well now. Like I've, I've got my shit together and it just never seemed good enough. It was always uh, met with uh, like, what well, you think you're better than us now? Uh, you know, like just stuff like that. And then it just got to a point where uh, my brain broke. <laughs> I just, I cracked it. I couldn't handle anything more. I, uh, I put myself in hospital I um I had a, a really bad anxiety attack, like to the point where I was, I thought I was dying. I uh, I said my goodbyes to myself and I was like, this is it, man, you're done. Uh, I made one last wish uh, to, for God. It's a weird thing. I don't even believe in that, in the in that kind of God. I made a, I, I was just like, don't, don't take, uh, don't do it in front of my girlfriend at the time. Oh, not at the time. She's still my girlfriend. I mean, <laughs> um, I was like, just don't do it here. And I was like, because it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I was like, just don't do it here. I was like, you can take me, but just not here. Uh, do it tomorrow and I'll be happy to go. And that was my thought in my head. Uh, I went to the hospital. They kept me tied up to the machines for eight hours. And then they're like, just relax. And I was like, okay. Um, and then after that, me and my partner went, overseas we went to like through uk through europe and stuff and being outside of all that external pressure you get a lot of time to think 
Um, it's not like it's never there. It's just you never get time to think about it. So I, got, I had a lot of time to unpack uh, and really take a good, long, hard look at my life and be like, like what the fuck are you doing? Um, and that that's when I started turning around. That's when I started really just being like, you know, it's it's not about working hard and making money if you're just going to fuck it up over here. Um, it's about, you know, being a better person. Like, <sighs> treat people well, you know. Um, don't take on board the people who treat you like shit. If they're going to treat you like shit, you can just say, see you later, um, rather than trying to please these people constantly. Um, it's about putting my head in the right direction. Uh, probably believing in myself is probably the hardest one. Um, I remember... I, we were we were just traveling and it was a weird like me trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life because I just packed it all up. I uh I left my my job like this this career that I built up over years. I just I packed it up and I left and then I was like what was I going to do? I I uh and my partner was like why don't you go to university? Um and where I'm from that doesn't exist. Uh <laughs> university is not on the books ever. Um and it took a little bit of convincing and then and then that sort of started the real change where I was like I applied and I got in. And I was like, Oh mm. shit. Like that <laughs> that's that's never a thing. Like I got told never and to not even try because you're not gonna do it. Um and then like it was one of those things. It's like uh all these things that I thought were out of my reach were suddenly like if I asked, I was getting it. And then it was like, uh, you know. From then on it was like, Oh, I want this job, I apply for it, you got it or you know, I want to start my own business again, and oh, it's 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 going to be a, a, a nobody's going to like it, everyone's going to hate it, and then it sort of it worked. So, um, I don't know. That's uh, for me, getting out. Yeah, like I said, you you're never out. It's uh, I'm better. Uh, but then there's always uh, <clears throat> leaving leaving people behind, uh, which you have to. I think if you go through any sort of really massive change, especially when your family is some of the issue, they're going to try and pull you back in. Uh, they're going to constantly go like, we need you here, uh, yeah. which is understandable, but you can't, you, you, you kind of have to set your boundaries and. Yeah. They're toxic. There's a kind of toxicity to the situation. Yeah, that's, that's right. And uh, like, I love my family dearly. Um, uh, but then there's, like I've had to set really strict boundaries in terms of, of how much time I spend with them, uh, yeah. how much I let them in my life because it, it impacts me. Like it's, yeah. um, it weighs you down and, and not in the, the hold you back, weigh you down. It weighs you down emotionally. Where I was, even at the start of this year, I was so emotionally drained trying to juggle my shit, their shit. You know, uh, and it it just got to the point where I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to figure myself out again, um, being back in my hometown. Um, and if you guys want to come along, you can come along. If not, I'll, I'll catch you later. But uh, that's a that's a bit of it. It's a bit of it, Larry. Yeah, it's a that's the, that's the gist. I mean, that's a roller coaster. You just just give me a time frame. How long is it since you had that kind of? A breakdown or anxiety attack spell like that well to, to be fair, like i had one uh uh you said you were 25 how old are you now 30 32 but i've had yeah. one recently um it doesn't like i said it doesn't go away it uh it comes back in in, in things and then i i just learned to um to mitigate it a little better like i understand what 
what fills my cup yeah. and what takes away from it. And uh, I just got to focus. So what on. are your, you know, when things are tough, what do you, where do you get your courage, strength, hope? Where does that come from? Um, uh, a few places like, uh, like my partner is incredibly understanding. Uh, it's not met, like, so I guess it's, so uh, last year my dad got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, right? And it was at a time where I was just recently back in a, back in my hometown in Canberra. Uh, and I thought things were going kind of well, like things were starting to push forward and I was like, I can rebuild everything yeah. that, that I thought I destroyed. Uh, and then my immediate thing is to just go get blind drunk <laughs> every single time. Um, and it was such a, a, a toxic thing that I picked up from my past that, that I'm really getting rid of now. Like I'm, I'm understanding it now. Um, okay. So in terms of like where do I get it from now, it's it, one, it's, it's internal. It, uh, it has to be a, like a, a very long, hard look at myself and go, you've got two choices. You've got get completely blind drunk and just extend your problem because you're going to be hungover tomorrow and you're still going to feel shitty uh, and then you're going to want to drink again or whatever, or you can just uh, buck up and get on with it. You can look at the situation for what it is, see what you can do to help, see what you can do to fix it, uh, and then get on with it, I guess. Mm. That's sort of how I deal with it. Mm. Is studying psychology helpful? Oh, no. (laughs) It's... But did you think it might be when you started? No, 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 definitely not. So I guess it's like uh, when you tell people you're in, uh, you study psychology, everyone goes, "Is it to to fix yourself?" Definitely not. Um, I understood but that. Well, actually, why not? I mean, it's another. It's not a, from my point of view. It's it's a perfectly reasonable thing to to oh, yeah. uh, hope for. I'm not. I'm not saying that it isn't uh, for other people. Fantastic, but for me, it, it never was. Like I. I I knew my, my, my failings and my strengths. I knew them very well when I was younger. I just couldn't dig my way out of the failures so easily. Uh, and right. then all of my strengths were immediately met with, uh, you know, like some sort of abuse, like it, whether it be physical or verbal or whatever. So the failures seemed like the right thing to do. But So I've always understood myself in a sense that, like, I can control these things. I just need, a, I need time and a bit of understanding. Uh, the reason why I got into psychology is because I went through shit and I know what it's like and I know it's incredibly difficult, especially when you've got nobody to fucking talk to. Uh, when you've got nobody, like when you feel like there's nobody there and you're the only person on the planet, it's fucking horrible. And uh, so that's why I got into it. I was like, I don't want anybody to ever feel like they've got nobody to talk to. Um, right. and, and I guess that's like a, an extension of this, of this, this podcast is like, I think if I if I talk to people, then nobody's ever going to feel like uh, they've got no one to talk to. Hmm. I understand that. That's very good. Noble. Good. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I try. I try but, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about my life. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's the surface. That's all the... You made me feel I want to come and give you a hug. <laughs> there we go. The, the digital hug. Yeah, so I don't like... I don't know, but I think it's one of those things like I've only just gotten to the point now where I can tell, I can start telling my story without feeling uh, shame or guilt. Um, not so much guilt. I don't really feel guilt, but it's shame. Um, I always felt like um, no. I didn't want to take away from others. 
by telling my story or I didn't want to feel like I don't want the pity as well. Um, so this is something that I've, I've just sort of gotten over now. There is some grieving. There is some grieving to be done. The, the grieving for your, for your younger self, I would say. Oh yeah. Do you feel that ever a uh, kind of, a kind of grief, a kind of sadness, maybe anger also. There's a, uh, the anger. Those- yeah. It, it was mostly anger, but like it is a grieving now where it's, um, just such wasted potential. Um, I look at the younger version of me uh, who had time on his hands, who had the energy on his hands, that could have done all of these things if he just knew he could. Uh, instead of, I think, I'm always like, it's it's hard to look back and not be like, oh, you should have done this. Uh, I'm happy. I'm in, incredibly happy where I'm at now, and I'm happy I'm doing it now, and I know everything comes with, with purpose and reason. Uh, but I do look back, and I, I was very resentful towards my family originally because, once again, yeah. you don't, you're, it's easier to blame others than it is to blame yourself. Um, but I look back at myself, and I'm like, you dick. Like, you, you wasted too much time. Um, and I'm very big on time. Um, I know that time doesn't time is not cheap, and uh, I wasted a lot of it. Well, I'm for, nearly 40 years older. And let me tell you, there's plenty of time. I hope <laughs> there's so. There's plenty of time. And uh, because, because what you can do as a human being is infinite. It's infinite. There is no, there's no limit to it. So you can only do what you can do in the time that you've got to do it. So, uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, I would... I would just strongly recommend being as kind to yourself as as you can ever be, and forgiving and and loving, and to your younger self as well as to your current self. What about when you look forward to the future, to the next, let's say, five or ten years? What do you see um, in your life? I see a lot of things. Um, you know, like getting married, having kids, that type of stuff. You know, buying a house. Um, like just, right, a, I, nothing, I think that <laughs> no, nothing uh, too uh, easy I, then. I, I, I think mean, mar- getting married and having kids is, I mean, I didn't get married until I was 61. So, oh, right. <laughs> and I haven't had any kids. So I would say they, that's, uh, those are big challenges. Yeah. But know, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think like you, and I think if you've been, if you, if, if you go through like hard challenges in your life, um, like from the start, from the get go, if you're if you're faced with these these challenges that bring nothing but but pain and, and sorrow, you look forward to these happy challenges. Like it really puts a, a better perspective on them. Where it's like right. everyone's like, "Oh, you want to have kids?" And you're like, "Yeah, hundred percent." Like I'm looking forward to the the sleepless right. nights and the and the running after them because it's a happy challenge. It's a challenge that life throws at you where you can look at it and go, "It actually brings positivity and and something." beneficial to my life so i, I think yeah. um I, I don't know like like i said i'm uh, i'm i'm excited like i'm super excited and i'm i think the i, I want to once again it's filling the cup you can either fill it full of hate and anger and and bad stuff and bad intentions yeah. and bad actions that go with it or you can do the the happy stuff and, and take the challenges that 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 side comes with um yeah so it'll be all right kids can't be that hard right so many people are going to be like, what? <laughs> it can't be that no, bad. No, no, dude. What about 
I mean, you'll presumably you'll complete your psychology uh, degree. Yeah. What What are you going to do with that? So, uh, uh, like, uh, I've been really tossing up. I've uh, I ver- I extend myself a lot. It's very hard. So uh, I don't know if I told you. Like now, I'm working two jobs and running my business and studying. And yeah, you told I'm, me. I, I'm one of those I, like I have to have do to think, every second think, every day. You must. Yeah. Well, what? Why do you do that? Why do you do so much? <sighs> you tell me. You're the, <laughs> the psychiatrist. Uh, I think. Like I always say that it's like um, like to keep myself out of trouble. But I think that's that's the the first reason I've given it because I'm I haven't unpacked it a lot. Um, I don't know. I I've always liked being jam packed busy. Like so, I get up at four a.m. and I like to just just go until I fall asleep at night, and I enjoy it. Like that's 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 really what I enjoy. I uh, I feel better. I yeah. once I get adjust to it, quite I, exhausting for people with uh, around you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> imagine. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. But uh, I don't like I don't know. Maybe it's a sense of like uh, once well, again, life's too life's too short. It's back to what you were saying, isn't it? You have got time. You want to make use of it all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, also, I think it's like a, a deeply seated childhood thing. Not a lot of people work in my family, <laughs> so it's like if I if I work, then that separates. That's my that's the line between yeah. me and them. Uh, and if I yeah. keep working and I work hard enough, then you know if I yeah if I can work and I can study, bit. you know, you remind me a little bit of my father. He he grew up in uh, relative poverty and. He uh, he left school early, uh, partly because he was uh, he had a some sort of. I mean, he was born in 1911, so mm. <laughs> so you know Tough when times. he was in school, that was things were quite different. But anyway, he he left school early. I think partly to get work paid work, uh, like about 14. Yeah. But um, so by the time I came along, he he uh, he was running a, a business, and he he just worked all you know all the time yeah and he didn't actually give up his business till he was 78 oh wow yeah yeah right he, well, that was his thing you know and it was like he was um uh, he, he was driven really i mean it was also a business not that wasn't an easy business at least as far as i understand it from him um it was just a necktie manufacturing business. Yeah. So, but it was never a great deal. The, you know, the profit margins between manufacturing and selling neckties uh, wholesale was not great. So they and they had to borrow money at the beginning of the year to buy the fabric to make into the ties, which they all sold at Christmas time. You know, and then they oh, got yeah, their money yeah. back to pay off the bank, and then they had to go to the, get another loan yeah. at the beginning of the next year. And it was a a crazy system where they never could, you know, a bit like the 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 uh, sled dogs in the Arctic chasing the sunset when the sun yeah, never that's sets. Right. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So so I I guess it's I can understand that um, uh, when when uh, you come from that kind of a, a poverty background. It, it, he he, I think was terrified of running out of money. You know. Yeah, there's a there's a like so even with the now I understand because I think my last job I I burnt myself out. I was I packed it 
so so tightly that that uh not even just physically like emotionally as a pt you take on a, a fair bit emotionally so i think it's like the uh the precursor so, to yeah that's, a yeah it, so personal training is mostly physical training is that right mostly body training you know yeah it's meant it's meant but to also be people talk to you yeah it's like uh like your barber or you know yeah you know and you you just sort of get to know them and and you're, you're changing their body you know what i mean and, and that physical change also comes with an emotional change Right. They start to feel happier. Obviously, the endorphins are releasing, and right. usually when they get into it, it's always always through an emotional experience that put them there. Something right. emotional attached to get them into the gym. I'm getting married, right? That's a big one. Like, there's a heavy emotional. I bought attachment. this wedding dress, and I can't get into it. That's yet. right. Or <laughs> you know, my partner left me because I gained weight. You know, these are oh. big things. So there's always like heavy conversation. Um, yeah, and it's. That sort of weighs on you, especially if you don't know how to like regulate it and then deal with the the shitty hours, the you know, the five hours of sleep a night. You know, you go to bed at eleven, you wake up at five AM. Uh, and then you've got to keep yourself fit. There's an expectation of you to look like a personal trainer. And then there was some other stuff peppered in there that wasn't very good either. So um and yeah. then you just uh, you burn out. So it's like I th- I think I've learned from that that experience that um like the working constantly doesn't provide money because if you work constantly, then your service declines. And when your service declines, obviously yeah. money runs out and then you need to take that break to, to refresh yourself, especially in the personal training. It is a uh, you know, personal, so it is one-on-one. Um, so yeah, there, but there is that, that thing. If I stop, it's all going to fall apart. Um, it's yeah, but you, but you did that and you proved it didn't fall apart. And you got to travel and see the world, so yeah, it's a uh, uh, it's a good comeback. It's not, I guess. It's not I'm just what I'm saying. Saying is, it's not happening again. You're not beginning to take the no. I, I hope not. I hope not. I had a I did have a conversation with my partner about it, and I was like, I I'm worried. I'm really worried because it's like things are starting to really pick up. Like, uh, and I'm worried that it's uh, obviously there's there's a uh, the 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 work factor, but then there's a money factor. Money, you know, the trainers get paid quite well if you're decent. And then there's the uh, the attitude that comes to people with money. Uh, I was a bit of a dick when I had money. <laughs> like, it was just one of those, like, so, for instance, when I went when I went from Canberra, um, 25 years old, to Sydney, uh, a year later I was making two or three times the amount that I was making in Canberra. Uh, yeah, in Canberra. So it was like this this huge pay increase. Uh, and then it became more and more and I kept getting more and more money. Uh, and then I got the attitude that comes with it. You know, I felt money made gave me a sense of importance, like uh, a, a sense of authority because I never had it before. Um, so I was like, oh. So I was like, this is the thing that's going to make me important. This is going to be the thing that gives me power. Uh, and it doesn't. It doesn't give you shit. It gives you a roof over your head and well, some bills you, to pay. You, you should. Uh, sorry, my answer machine is going off. <laughs> right. um, what you need to do is to um, tell people, uh, you know, the the billionaires of the world that, uh, you know, um, some of them have have learned that lesson, but some of them haven't. Not yeah. just the billionaires, lots of rich people. Um, some of them do. I think there was a a very rich w- woman in. 
America. Um, oh, someone's really trying to get through on the phone here. Do you want to get it? Um, Did you want to get that? If it's okay, I'll just yeah, grab, go grab it. it. I'll get some water. Hey, ma'am. What are you doing? Uh, I don't know where she is, and I'm on a Zoom call. Uh, Sarah? He's on the phone. He's on the phone. <laughs> I'll just put it out by my hat. There. Okay. Okay, Josh, someone for my wife. That's right. Okay, well, um, we probably should wrap it up because my haircut is due any minute. That's right. Sorry to do that because it feels like we're in the middle of something. Uh, hey, Larry, we, we I got more all the time in the world for you, my friend. So uh, you you'll well, be my again. you'll be my first third third timer. You know, you'll be you'll be back many times. I can see it already. Well, I want to come and see your kids when they're there. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's not that far off, my man. It's not that far <laughs> off. Hey, Larry, thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful day. Uh, have yeah. a good haircut. Have, yeah, fun, sure. have fun playing golf again, my friend. I will. All right, Larry. Okay, see, take care. See bye. You later, God buddy. bless you. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Damn. He was. He was trying to. He was trying to. He was trying to get me. He's a psychiatrist, so he, he, he's, he's all over it. He's. Much more knowledgeable than I am. Everybody, that was Larry. Uh, Larry's a legend. Larrys he's honestly one of my favorite people to, to have a chat to. It's, it's very easy to talk to him. And, it, and that's Mem in the background. I can know. Um, very easy to talk to. And it's good to see the, the difference between like old school and new school thinking. Uh, you, you can tell that he's, uh, he's, very, um, he's very progressive. Um, but he still has that, that those old traditional ways, which I think is fantastic. It's, uh, you can definitely learn a lot. Other than that, everybody, go check out wawdh.com.au. We've got the website up. Everything is going through there. Go give me a five-star on Apple, the iPod thinger, just so I can get a little further up. You know you want to. Uh, other than that, share, like, distribute, do your thing, leave a comment, send a message, do whatever you do. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.